Good afternoon and welcome to the show. Uh, I'll start off by saying happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Yeah, here we are. Thanksgiving weekend in Toronto. All sorts of things for everybody to do. Hopefully uh, everybody's getting ready to make their turkey in their nice home. And, um, you know, we'll see how everything goes. But today I've got a lot to talk about. I've got uh, two great guests joining me. Dave Butler from Butler Mortgage. We're going to be talking, obviously, about what is going on. What can we expect from interest rates with the new NAFTA 2.0? Yes, I know it's the USMCA and whatever Mr. Trump decided to call it. I just think he wanted to rebrand it and say that he did it. But um, ultimately, in the end, I want want Dave's take on it, where interest rates going to go over the next 18 months. And then I'm going to have joining me in the studio, Tim Sirianos. And if the name sounds familiar, it should. You would have heard him here on this show, not on my show, but on Ask the Experts a lot. He is the former president of the Toronto Real Estate Board. And Tim, Tim is also a broker owner and huge, huge experience. And it's going to be great to have him in the studio to talk today about real estate and what it's like to be the president of the biggest real estate board in the world and all sorts of things to chat about. Um, but let's talk about what's going on in the market. Of course, everybody heard the news. The market's up 1.9%. Ooh, uh, ooh, uh, you know, more, st- more stuff that's out there. Um, 1.9%. Is that a big number year over year? Not really. Uh, more importantly, if we take a look at last year, the numbers were not all that hot. So you know, we had to see something moving forward, you know, month over month, though, not really much movement there. And despite the fact that, yes, September was decent per se, uh, it's one of those things that we need to be able to focus on and say, okay, where do we go from here? What is next? And uh, it's really, you know, October, November and December, I think we'll, we'll, we'll say a lot and we'll see if the market starts increasing, see if we see some more inventory popping up. And uh, so we'll wait and see how we do with that. I think, I think it'll be interesting. And, you know, you can always tune in right here every Saturday to Simply Real Estate with me, your host, Todd C. Slater. Um, Speaking of tuning in, uh, coming up this Thursday, October the 11th, is my Simple Seminar. Uh, If you're interested, 7 p.m. at the Simple Seminar uh, at our Simple Investor head office. Go to thesimpleinvestor.com if you want to register and you can find out about our new releases and uh, some pretty exciting stuff. So if you haven't signed up already, but you want to know more about investment real estate, you know, definitely sign up and come and see us on Thursday at 7 p.m. Um, lots going on in the news and a, a new a new thing that just came out. So uh, I'm not going to... Uh, I'm not going to bash anybody, but I, I find it interesting that somebody would take this tack. And it is uh, Jennifer Keysmat. She is a candidate for becoming the mayor of Toronto. And her newest proposal is rent to own home ownership program financed by a property tax surtax on luxury homes. And so, you know, the comment from the candidate is that she believes that an ambitious new rent to own program for Torontonians financed by a surcharge on luxury properties. So what is a luxury property? Well, this is what they seem to think uh, is a luxury property. Anything over the price of $4 million should have a surtax of 0.4% on the value of the home. And they're claiming that they would probably get about $80 million per year extra in revenue. 
enough to help 10,000 families over the next 10 years. Now, you know, I love how they how numbers get skewed and they start help 10,000 families over 10 years. How about uh, help 1,000 families each year? Um, you know, why do, why do we start, you know, why do we have to ramp up the numbers and, and start cranking up the numbers so it looks really good on the candidate? You know, again, I'm going to be careful on how I tread on this, but the, the biggest problem that I think people are going to have is that, okay, so let's implement this. What happens when they need more? Does that mean anybody's value over two million? When does it get to a million? When does the surtax start dropping? Because what they want to do is they want to turn around and create a rent-to-own uh, proposal. And so that way they'll invest some city-owned land, get the city zoning regulatory powers in partnership with city builders to inject, you know, to get another 100,000 new rental apartments into the Toronto housing market. Okay, now. If we were smart, we would kind of free up everything and make it a lot easier for the builders to develop, perhaps get rid of rent control and put more of a rental limit, not control over things, and get these guys to build it a lot quicker than we're going to ever get the city to do it. So uh, I'm not sure that this is a good thing. Uh, you know, I don't know if this is a platform that anybody's going to elect her on. I think that you'll get a couple of naysayers that are going to say, yeah, good luck with that. And you might get a few people that are going to embrace it. But truth be told, the problem is a lot bigger than just 100,000 properties over the next 10 years. When I've got uh, Tim coming up, uh, I am going to ask him that, you know, where, where are we going to get rid of some of these shortages? How do we avoid the issues of almost zero vacancy in rentals? There's a lot to be done. And uh, so I think that it's important that we, uh, we kind of drill that down. But now, uh, of course, I want to go to my mortgage expert. It's Mr. Dave Butler from Butler Mortgage. How are you doing, Todd? Good, Dave. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad at all. Excellent. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, always a pleasure having you on the show, Dave. And uh, I, I got to ask you a question. Okay, you've probably been following the NAFTA negotiations. Okay, uh, a, yep. a lot of people, a lot of new, a lot of things in the news uh, this past week. You know, since um, you know the the orange-haired guy got his way in a lot of ways. Um, you know, wanted to rebrand it. I thought that was kind of amusing. But more importantly, a lot of financial institutions are saying that you know it's going to open the gates maybe for the bank of Canada to start pushing rates up. What's, uh, what's your take on it? Yeah, I think that's the general consensus amongst most um, bankers and mortgage brokers that I spoke to. It sounds like um, that was the, the uncertainty surrounding the deal was what was really causing the Bank of Canada to not be able to take a stance either way on, on the interest rates. The fact that the deal is done, the uncertainty is now no, is no longer there. Um, the Bank of Canada, it sounds like, can go back to their plan, um, which is to continue to increase rates slowly but steadily. Um, we are hearing that the October uh, Bank of Canada meeting uh, this month is its pretty likely they will increase by a quarter percent on prime, which we're already seeing uh, reverberations of that in the bond yield market, which is, as you know, tied to fixed rates. Uh, that are available out in Canada. So right now we're seeing the bond yields are up. Um, we've actually had a couple lenders already this week have increased their rates. Now, now having said that, it's not big banks yet. We've seen the smaller lenders start to increase in anticipation of the Bank of Canada raising their prime rate. The banks haven't done anything yet, so nothing from Scotia, TD, some of the other ones. But um, usually when the small ones start moving, 
a good chance uh, the banks could be following. So, I mean, we'll be keeping our eye on that. But, you know, unfortunately for us, I think we are looking at some more uh, some more rate increases. Now, alternatively, I will say this, uh, Benjamin Powell, who's a very well-known CIBC economist, um, one of the things I was reading that he was putting out was that uh, um, certainly, you know, he does expect rates to continue to go up. But what goes up must come down, and uh, he seems to think that in the next year or so, uh, or maybe even a little bit more than that, we could see these rates pop out and start coming back down again. You know, uh, Mr. Tull has been on the show a few times with me, uh, always a great guest, Dave. And mm-hmm. one of the things, um, you know, so October 24th is the next uh, Bank of Canada meeting. And I agree with you, a quarter point probably. You know, they, they've tried to insinuate potentially two to three increases next year in 2019. But again, you, you know, you've seen the renewals coming out. Do you think that they're going to be very cautious with that? Because now we have to start considering the debt load that Canadians are carrying with mortgages and on the renewal aspect of things, you know, is there, any, is there going to be any more flexibility put into the banks? Because, you know, I, I know a lot of, you know, there, there's people going alternative because of the stress test. You start throwing in some extra rates, you know, this is, this is going to take, I think, you know, mortgage money out of the big banks' hands in some ways. Yeah, I mean, it's without a doubt. I mean, there is, there is a day of reckoning coming in the sense that, you know, these, these rates continuing to go up at this pace. Renew, this is going to have a major effect on people that are renewing their mortgages. I mean, you know, one of the things that's forgotten is that prime rate has gone up 1% in one year. Uh, you know, just, just, I mean, obviously the last increase uh, that we had, we were in a, the one-year mark that it went up four times by a quarter percent. That's not generally thought of as a slow increase. Um, and if we're going to get another, you know, two or three or four increases in prime rate over the next year, I mean, that's 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 sizable. I mean, take the fact, I mean, you're, you're looking at approximately at almost close to a hundred percent increase in rates over, you know, on the, on the variable rate in terms of in looking at maybe two, three years. Right. So that is, that's not a small increase by any means. Um, and so, yes, there definitely has to be some measures taken. Um, and I think what we'll see is it's going to take, you know, certainly a wave of people um, that are going to get snapped up in some high renewal rates, and it's going to take some backlash and some public sentiment that's likely going to try to curb, um, you know, and at least, you know, give some, give some, give the bank of Canada a little more pause in terms of if they can keep raising them. But your point is insanely valid. It's something that all mortgage brokers are talking about right now. And I think most people at the banks is what do we do when, you know, two years later, you know, your interest rates are a hundred percent higher than they were. That is a big problem on renewal. Yeah, and and I think that's why they want to throw the stress test in. But, you know, not necessarily is it the right thing if they can standardize or stabilize the interest rates and where they're going. I know they're trying to fight off inflation, but, you know, there's got to be a give and take somewhere. And and like you said, there'll come a day of reckoning and, and, you know, hopefully people are not caught in the jet wash. Dave, if we're we're looking at today's rates, what are you seeing right now for both a variable and a fix? Is, Is there still some decent money out there for people? Yeah, it's still, we're still looking at good rates. I mean, obviously the question is, what are we looking at in a year or two? But I mean, right now we're still finding a five-year fixed rate, which is, of course, the benchmark kind of most popular rate out there. The five-year fixed, I'm finding it still selling in the, you know, call it low threes with some of these crazy smaller lenders uh, that are able to give these insane discounts. Uh, so we're seeing low threes to, you know, three and a quarter rates all the way up to the big banks we're finding in the three and a half, say three and three quarters. 
Um, so, I mean, you've got quite a range there at the moment. And then variable, we're still, I mean, there's still some interesting variable rates out there. I mean, we've got variable rates in the mid to high twos. Um, the problem is, will that last? You know, with another sure. possible Bank of Canada rate increase at the end of this month, uh, that's probably going to push now most of the variable people into the high twos, mid, you know, low threes, mid threes, um, and we, with not much sight in going back down. So still some very favorable rates. Obviously, people are asking me every day, Dave, what do I do, fixed or variable? You know, I get a lot of calls from clients, Dave, I'm in a variable, should I be changing to a fixed? I think really the answer is, you know, we have to look at the trajectory of the rates right now. There is definitely an upward arrow on rates. Anyone sure. saying there's a downward arrow on rates is not necessarily using, I think, their full thinking. Uh, so if we're going to, you know, just look, it's very tough to look at a crystal ball. But if we say, hey, the trajectory on rates is up. We know if you're in a variable, you're likely going to keep going up. You know, fixed rates, of course, will then increase. So maybe it does make sense if you plan to have this property, you know, whether it's an owner-occupied or a rental for a long term, I'm saying three to five years, then I don't think going in a fix is going to make anyone upset. It's not going to be, I don't think you can ever say that was a horrible decision. Um, Riding out a variable for the next two, three years, that may be something people do regret. So it's just, it's really just how long you think you're going to have the home. Someone that may only have a home for one or two years and they plan to sell it, it might not make any sense to go on a fixed rate because always remember variable rate penalties are the smallest in the business. So if you think you may be breaking your mortgage, it doesn't make much sense to go and lock into a fixed rate and then pay the bank a higher penalty. Well, listen, Dave, always a pleasure having you on and uh, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Todd. Really appreciate it. Thank you, folks. That was Dave Butler from Butler Mortgage. And coming up after the break, I've got Tim Sirianos joining me. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. My uh, next guest in the studio with me, I'm just absolutely thrilled to have him on finally. Uh, he is the former president of the Toronto Real Estate Board. It is Mr. Tim Sirianos. And Tim, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. You know, it's been a real pleasure, uh, you know, just kind of getting to know you and, and chatting. I think we knew of each other kind of in the, the real estate ether. But, um, <laughs> you know, just to, to let everybody know, you're no, you weren't just the past president of the Toronto Real Estate Board. Of course, you are a broker owner of a REMAX uh, group in Toronto and uh, lots of experience. It seems like yesterday. Doesn't it, time sure fly? Um, it started my career in 1989. This is my 29th year in real estate. So... Uh, it does seem like yesterday, uh, practiced real estate for about 19 years, been a broker owner for 11 now, yeah. and uh, we have three locations in, in the center core of Toronto. Uh, Remax Ultimate is the name of the company, yeah. just over 240 uh, plus professional realtors. It's fun to be back and be eye to eye, belly to belly with them again, and you know, absolutely use my knowledge that I gained over the past year in a system to uh, help their clients achieve their goals. Lots to talk about today. Going to talk a little bit about uh, you know what Treb does. Of course, I want to talk about realtors. I want to talk about the market. You know, all sorts of things. Let's just talk about your experience first and foremost uh, as the president of the Toronto Real Estate Board. You know, I don't know if everybody realizes how in depth that really is and how it can consume your time. I mean, basically, you had to shut your life off for about a year. I and uh, you know, you're you're when you're the president elect coming into it. You know, your 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 tasks start ramping up. They do. And then you know, as you do your handoff you still have tasks to do so can you tell our our uh, our listeners a little bit about what it is to be 
the president of the biggest real estate board in the world. And that's an amazing thing. So it's a humbling experience to be uh, nominated and chosen by your peers to represent the industry at that level. The Toronto Real Estate Board is a first class organization. A lot of people think it's just about the MLS. It is so far greater. I was a board of director for the first four years uh, before I was nominated and became, as you said, elected to be the president in two years from then. And now I'm the past president. During my year, I mean, the market, yeah. <laughs> the industry, the amount of changes. I was so thankful for my family to be so understanding. I'm married. I'm a father of three daughters, a 16-year-old, 14-year-old, and turning eight in a few weeks. And it was really tough. The only way that I could make more time is by giving up sleep. And uh, <laughs> I was everywhere. I was between three offices. I still had a business to run, obviously. Sure. An amazing leadership team at the office who uh, would check in with me throughout the day. But then there were demands. I'd be at city council. I would be uh, meeting with provincial members of parliament. I'd be going to Ottawa. I flew to Vancouver. I went as far as France to speak. So when an association, a board is this size, how we operate and what we do is very important to the world. And uh, people want to know about Toronto. Toronto is a first class city. It's remarkable no matter where I went, the talk was about Toronto and, and how it is a first class city. It was just a lot of fun. We've been saying that, you know, Toronto has become a world-class city for real estate and, Correct. you know, probably one of the top seven in the world. And when we take a look at, you know, how people are gauging Toronto real estate, you know, it was always, uh, I, I think it was actually controlling the pulse and the narrative for real estate in the world to a lot of degrees because, you know, people were saying, you know, is it a bubble? Is it this? Is it that? You know, and, and every time there was a rate decrease or increase. It was always, does this affect Toronto? You know, Vancouver, of course, was it was there as well. But at the same time, Toronto really was, you know, the biggest named city. You know, we've got New York, Shanghai, all the, all like the major cities, but they always went back to Toronto. Were you doing interviews from places all around the world as well? Like, were you getting people inquiries where people wanting to know what's going on? Absolutely. We had people come in from Austria to talk about the Toronto market. The media from there came and actually sat down with us in the Treb offices and we talked about real estate and how it's organized here. Uh, we talked about the marketplace, how many units are being sold, projected units being sold, what the changes are, government intervention. But what the listeners really need to appreciate or understand here is that the same problems that we have in Toronto exist in a lot of major markets around the world. And if we think that prices are expensive in Toronto, go to Lisbon. You know, we're talking about $2,000 per square foot for a condo, sure. and supply is also an issue there. I've seen deputy mayors and different people of, of different government offices talking about how to increase supply. So the major centers of the world, they're coming to North America, and they're saying, are these just our problems? Yeah. Uh, do you have these same challenges? And what are you doing to fix them? During my volunteerism, it was always, let's not just stay within our own bubble. Let's not create four walls around our city. Let's go out and discover from other big cities what solutions they have with transit. Is there a war on the car or isn't there a war on the car? Sure. How are we moving people across larger geographical areas? How are we connecting people? Uh, how can we build strong communities? Uh, strong communities, uh, home ownership, all these things all have a trickle effect right down to gun violence. So yeah. when you're thinking about how many aspects of our life is affected by a single real estate transaction, it's mind-boggling.
One of the things that, um, you know, when you touched on, when you talk about, you know, $2,000 a square foot, I mean, when we take a look at New York, you know, their prices were exceeding $2,500 a square foot in some of their latest releases. You know, I I, I was getting, you know, news feeds to, uh, given to me saying, you know, a one-bedroom unit was going to cost $1.8 million. And when you look at that, you say to yourself, so we're really not that bad off. But unfortunately, what happens, and I think that people have to understand truly what did happen with Toronto as opposed to just saying, look, it went to this crazy price. But this was a run-up. This was, was this was the education somewhat of the world. This is, I think, and, and, and I'm going to go all the way back to 1989 when you got your license. Yeah. <laughs> but in 89, when the market really adjusted, I think that when, when the GTA market was created, it was created in the early 90s. And when we started seeing a little bit more of the sprawl, we started seeing more infrastructure, we saw more schools, we saw more industry. You know, when Mississauga opened for business, you know, you had Mayor Hazel McCallion. She just got a lot of, you know, companies in to, to the city to start growing, you know, cities like Mississauga yes. and then the surrounding areas. Like we saw this growth, but and it wasn't really a bubble. This increase in value and I think want of Toronto real estate actually happened over a 20 to 25 year period. I agree. People talk about the supply challenge that we're having in Toronto. And I know this has been beaten over <laughs> yeah. and over and over. It has here for and, sure and, on Simply and, Real Estate. <laughs> and sorry, folks, it's going to happen one more time, yeah. right? It is not serendipity yeah. that we've had a supply challenge and a sudden run on of real estate values ever since we've implemented a second land transfer tax in Toronto. Let's be historians. Let's go back to when the tax went in. And all of a sudden, when government comes in and adds something they feel they need, okay, like they added it because they felt they need it. And at first it was a 200 million or a hundred million dollar increase. Now this year alone, the city of Toronto is probably gonna make a billion dollars on land transfer tax. But what they don't realize is that this is the reason why we have a supply problem. People are finding it too expensive to actually move. So they're actually considering renovating. The renovation market is just on fire. It's been on fire for the last, it's been on fire, even though we've had the Ontario Fair Housing Plan, rent control, all the change that the government has done has not slowed down the renovation market. Basically what we're saying is, you want supply? Make it easier for the consumer to make the move. Let them free up the real estate. Let's reduce the red tape. Let's reduce some of the costs. You and I both understand that the city of Toronto, this, we're talking about the city of Toronto here, of course. they need to balance their budget every single year. Maybe Ontario could help here. You know, like where, where's the money going? They could run a deficit. I mean, I know they found that there's a bigger deficit than, they than, than anticipated. However, we gotta look at ways to have people consider moving, right? Yeah. And, it, and it goes up the scale and back down the scale. So we're gonna deal with that as soon as we come back. Folks, I've got Tim Sirianis with me and stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. So joining me in the studio right now is Tim Sirianos. And um, I hope that you have been listening to Ask the Experts over the years with Ian Grant, my producer, but he's also the host. Tim has been a regular guest with Ian, and fortunately, he has been uh, very gracious to join me here in the studio. And Tim, just before the break, we were talking about, you know, supply um, and how this this wasn't just in the last year in the making. You know, mm-hmm. everybody all of a sudden starts to panic. But truth be told, um, we do have a supply issue. And yes. I, th- I think it has a lot to do in and I know people, you know, it's amazing how people just naturally assume that we can absorb 100 to 120,000 new people into the GTA market and there's going to be housing for them. If you don't mind me going back to some of the economics around this and what it really means and where we've been and why we're in a bigger challenge moving forward, 
Two years ago, we had 113,000 sales reported. Last year, we had about 93, 94,000 sales. This year, we're probably going to be targeting 82,000 sales. We're looking at about 30,000 sales have decreased. A lot of it because of government intervention, whether it's been the Ontario Fair Housing Plan, whether it's been the stress test, whether it's been rent control, whether it's been looking at the energy tax audit, which has been scrapped now. A lot of reasons why the NAFTA agreement, a new name for it, I keep on trying to remember (laughs) it, you know, it's something like USMC, CA, something something like like that. that. (laughs) Um, But every single transaction that is done really is a spinoff financial benefit to the economy of Ontario of $65,000. So on 10,000 transactions, drop sure. means $650 million are basically vacuumed out of the economy. Right. If you take 20,000, it's 1.3 billion. Yeah. If you take 30,000, we're looking at 1.8, 1.9 billion dollars. Sure. Even if we are more you know, modest in our assumption of the numbers, it has to be still around a billion dollars of lost revenue affecting jobs, everything up and down the food chain Yeah. in every single way. Supply is a very, very important requirement because the more transactions that exist, the more people feel comfortable in putting their house for sale and being able to find a home for sale to buy for their families. Whether you're a first-time buyer, whether you are uh, just getting married or retiring, it doesn't make a difference. You know, you're downsizing. The amount of transactions that are being reported and being done are very important. We're, at, we're probably right now, from what I recently looked at, probably about two to two and a half months of supply. And a lot of consumers don't know what that means. It means that if a single home is not put for sale for two and a half months, there's nothing to buy. Yep. And that is 100% a seller's market. 100%, because as soon as the inventory drops, you and I both know that starts putting pressure. We start seeing the competition go up. One of the biggest things I think that we need to talk about is, of course, the vacancy rate sitting on rentals. Okay, we are at historic lows right now. We're below one percent. I mean, I think we're half a half a percent, which is unheard of. What most people want to see is between three and six percent. Okay, that's a little bit healthier market means it that it, people are not as stressed. They're not going in competition as much. Of course, the provincial government, under the past government, they had implemented the rent, rent control. control. You know, because rent control uh, up to the Ray government was up till ninety one. Anything built, you know before that but you know everything new they left alone now as soon as as soon as the rent control went in all of a sudden builders that were going to make purpose-built rental properties turned around and said forget it we're not doing it they walked away made a lot of sense now a lot of people you know uh just from doing the show for so many years a lot of people got up in arms and said yeah well the builders are making too much money i don't think they realize the amount of taxes for development charges that the builders pay even if it's a rental property yes per suite when they start building you know right now when people talk about your let's say you're spending four hundred thousand dollars on a one bedroom unit the development charges are 130000 for that door alone. So each Be- suite. Each suite. So here's the problem. How do we solve this? Because I think the rental problem is just as bad as, let's say, you know, the millennials have been struggling because they can't necessarily afford, you know, to buy. I think the stress test is probably hurting them a little bit more than it should. But ultimately, in the end, where's our solution for the rental part of it? This is where it's, it's becoming more and more of a struggle. Looking at the condo market itself, people are buying them and then converting them into rentals. At this point right now, some buildings are, conservatively speaking, 30% are rentals. I think they're more like 50% rentals. Oh, I agree, 100%. Uh, so a lot, of these, a lot of these people, a lot of the investors are just buying condos and renting them out. That's adding to the rental pool at this time. Condos are no longer built in four 
four and five years the way builders are projecting to be built. Sure. They're taking six and seven years. In the springtime of this year, we had very few starts on brand new condominiums. Now there are some like 18 or 20 new starts in condominiums that are happening this fall, but those won't be hitting the market for five, six, seven years from now. How do you solve the actual rental supply, uh, aside from the condos that are being built right now, is to look and work with organizations like Build, put on the glasses, sharpen the pencils, and look at incentives to get these people back involved in the marketplace. We need the investment. We need people to focus on building purpose-built rentals and not making condominium buildings that are meant to be owner-occupied rental buildings. What about the idea of the introduction of basement apartments or duplexes and triplexes for in properties that have the ability of doing it physically? Because again, this will allow, you know, somebody that could rent a basement apartment, you know, sure. one or two bedroom. Yeah. For years, they stopped allowing them to be registered, as you know, I think yes. it was 1985 is when they froze everybody out and said, no, can't do this anymore. What do you think of that idea that municipalities start working together with homeowners saying, hey, listen, if you want a basement apartment, let's do it. Are, are we going to jam our roads, our schools too much if we do something like that? The provincial government uh, legalized cannabis because they want to get out of the black market. <laughs> so <laughs> so if we legalize apartments, we'll take it out of the black market. Because you, you well, and I both know people are renting. There, there are thousands of, there must be thousands oh. and thousands of, I mean, anybody listening to this show, I mean, there might be people right now who are saying, yeah, I got one. There's 10,000 in Mississauga alone that are illegal. Why not work with them, make them retrofit status, make sure they're safe for the people who are living in them, and assist. Right now, as a whole, we're looking at the different expectations of consumers. Builders are no longer building two-car garage, five-bedroom, quarter-acre lots. They're building townhomes, stack townhomes. They're putting more people tighter together. Increasing the density, sure. And by increasing the density, you're also looking at better tax revenue. So there are already homes that people are living in right now. My parents are retired. They're landing from holidays today. We're looking forward to seeing them again. They live in a 3,200-square-foot, five-bedroom home with a double-car garage. Why not allow them to tap into that? They're, they don't want to move. They're not going to move. You can't force them to move. That infringes on property rights. Yep. However, they have extra bedrooms. Mm-hmm. They have extra accommodations. They do have side doors and, and, and walk-up basement and everything else. If they could be allowed to have that as a basement apartment or a secondary unit within their property, that would definitely help in providing people with a place to live. And if it's registered with the city or the municipality itself and it's totally legal and it's safe and retrofit, fire retrofit status, what is the problem? Well, also the extra tax dollars. Because here's the thing, because then it's not underground. And what a lot of people, um, you know, affordability all of a sudden starts to come into play. So the people that are out there looking right now to buy something, the idea that if you could have a registered basement apartment that you can prove is legally rented, the banks will then accept some of the income from that basement apartment, which then changes affordability altogether. But safety is key. Okay, we got to make sure that the insurance, fire inspections, everything is done to keep everybody safe. We need to be socially responsible. We allow free enterprise to work, do their best, invest their money, instead of government always trying to invest and putting the burden on everybody. Let people who want to make the investment in their home to improve it for this purpose that we're talking about right now to let them do it. And at the end of the day, it's a win-win all the way around. They're not always basement apartments here. There are a lot of homes in Toronto that are completely three-story they're triplexes. Uh, and, and they're triplexes. Yeah. You know, if they're done right, if they're done professionally and the city inspects them and the mechanical is done right, the electrical is done right, the plumbing's done right. There are schools in Toronto, in greater Toronto, 
where they're thinking about closing them down because they have to bus kids in. So by allowing this to happen now, are you adding to a school or are you saving a school? I think you're actually reshaping neighborhoods. You're yep. reshaping communities. You are helping society find a place to live. And with 115,000 people coming in every single year, the number has it at 9.7 million people being the greater Toronto area within 20 years. Oh, That's the size of certain countries. I mean, I'm Greek background. <laughs> Greece is 10 million people. You know, Ontario alone is, I think, 11 or 12 million people. It's happening. So how are we going to embrace this change and embrace these opportunities? So we're going to go to a quick break, but stay with us. I've got more with Tim Sirianos when we come back. And welcome back. My guest this hour here in the studio with me is Tim Sirianos, and he is the former president of the Toronto Real Estate Board, and we've just been having a great, great discussion. Hey, listen, Tim, just before the break, you and I were having a great chat about inventory in yes. the greater Toronto area. I only laugh because there's been some campaign promises, and I'm not going to point any fingers, you know, both provincially and city with the city and every, all, it just seems like every single municipality wants to make a promise that they're going to build more. But when they, when they give us the number that they're going to build, it's sort of like, okay, so that's good for this year, but you're doing going to do it over the next 10 years. What are you going to do for year two? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's almost that it's hard for people to realize what a real shortage is going to look like. And we're just at kind of the beginning of it. We're still at the beginning of it. I think we'll be through this for many years to come. I don't really sincerely don't believe there's a solution that will be immediate. There has to be a, a tactical plan put in place. You mentioned earlier, Todd, and I agree with you that there needs to be uh, a loosening of regulations, a loosening of, of certain costs that are in place right now. There needs to be a better partnership with associations that represent builders, investors. I'm a firm, firm, firm believer in social responsibility. So I'm not coming here on this show and thinking that I'm supporting one party over the other, or one counselor over nope. the other, one mayor over the other. I actually enjoyed dealing with all different backgrounds when I served during my volunteerism. There are a lot of great people. I would not take their job even if you paid me <laughs> 10 times what they're earning because sure. all they do is get yelled at, screamed at, and a lot of self-interest groups, rightfully so, sure. that are pulling them in every single direction, and they have to make some really, really tough decisions. At the same time, they stepped in during the Ontario for Housing Plan, the provincial government did, mm -hmm. with the current 46, 47 councillors that were, that they won't be there anymore <laughs> after October, sure. they came up with a plan. And the plan was to add rent control. The plan was to add all these different policies to try to control the market. Yeah, and so you I, never want to control the market. I was just going to say that. Take your old hat off. Okay, let's talk realtor to realtor. Yeah. <laughs> okay, because okay, quite frankly, we knew it was coming. They literally just dropped the bomb, basically, like tomorrow it happens. People were scrambling Can like Can I crazy. share this with you? Yeah. I'm going to tell you straight up for everybody to know, everybody at that time was, stop, don't do anything. Let's make a decision on evidence. We told the previous government, please do not proceed. We had evidence that the market was normalizing. It was. The market was starting to slow down. There was inventory rising. The multiple offers were slowing down in a very, very drastic, fast pace. Sure. All that that did was just throw the biggest monkey wrenches possible into the psychology of the marketplace, yep. and it just created disorganized chaos for everybody. Well, I'm glad you said psychology because that's really what it was. Having interviewed everybody, being like living and breathing part of this marketplace, watching it, it was sort of like the idea that a foreign investor was going to compete against you, even if they didn't exist, was just that that little extra push that people would push over their limits. They would go that extra five or ten percent that they really couldn't afford, but they're like, no, 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 we'll do it, we'll do it, just because you know we don't want to lose it to a foreign buyer. 
did we say there was a foreign buyer there? We, no, but no, none of the buyers are identified. There were foreign buyers, but not I'm not 50%, saying there wasn't. No. Not 20%. No, there, you know, the, four, three, five? Well, well, let's go back in time. Let's go back in history. Toronto State Board reported that there were 4.9% were foreign buyers based on the professional study that was done, like a you know, third-party yep. surveying Outside and, and source, researching yep. and everything else. The provincial government came in and said it's 4.7. They were lower than our report. So we were to the decimal point in accuracy. <laughs> with them, right? Yeah. Like it was very, very close. There was no need to put these brakes on. There are buyers in the last two or three years. It is, it's actually heart-wrenching. I deal with them every single day through our representatives at the office, our, our agents that are out there on the street, because I really want to keep the pulse, you know, my fingers on the pulse of the market, even throughout my term. There are a lot of buyers who are coming to Toronto who want to live here, work here, employed here, the Raise whole thing. Yep. They're not a foreign investor. Nope. They were actually immigrating here, and they have to come up with 15%. How is somebody going to buy, at that time, a $1 million home, because that's the average price. Sure. They have a $200,000 down payment, and now they have to come up with another $150,000. That's not financeable. Closing tax, yep. Not financeable in any way, plus a land transfer tax. They have to rent. So now they were driven from the purchase to the rental market. Sure. And the rental market was already tight. Now it's become even tighter. You know, you look around the world, you use examples. Why not do it like other places on the way out? If you're going to be here and you're going to sell your property within a certain period of time and you've proven that you're not, like, you know, certain mechanisms are sure. in place, that you, you were just a, basically a foreign investor, that's all you were, yep. then tax them 15% on the way out. Do a bigger withholding tax. 100%. There, I mean, there are better solutions if we just put our heads together well, and we is, help each other. This is what the IRS does, okay, for Canadian investors that go down to Florida. They, they will turn around and they will withhold... 30 to 40% of the sale price to make sure that you've paid any part of the taxes that Correct. they are deemed to be owed Correct. when they when you sell your investment property down in the US. The Canadian and, and US relationship obviously is a little bit skewed because most people don't realize that we are foreign investors to them. And yes, yet they apply the same rules and it's on the way out, not on the way in. You touched on something and I do want to talk to you about this because it's your numbers. You had probably some of the greatest sources during a marketplace to have real numbers in front of you. But yet, I have to tell you, you know, I always relied on my TREB reports because okay. I know they're real. Yes. Okay. They're not skewed. They're, you guys weren't trying to make headlines. It's not like you were trying to pump the market, deflate the market. You weren't trying to do anything other than report the facts. But I'll have to tell you, the media spun so much during that time. You'd hear about the offers, 87 offers, you know, all these people losing out, blah, blah, blah. If you truly looked at it, there was still lots of transactions happening that were just normal transactions, but they always keyed in on the one or two that they could get some meat on. Yeah, they have a job to do. I had a fantastic <laughs> relationship with them during sure. my term. Uh, we talked at the start of the show about who Treb is yep. and the experience there. I'm super proud of the media relations and the people who compile all this information. At no time during my volunteerism at, that, at the board was there any 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 inkling of spinning numbers it was always provide the facts and let the media or the other sources do what they want with them because after two months six months or a year they'll have to report yeah. to the people they reported to that now they have to kind of retract and say that okay now how are you gonna look at 
these new numbers, right? Sure. So the numbers were always put out. There was never any intent to skew. There was never any thought to skew. Those are real numbers. The, the numbers are have always been and all, always will be real. And I'm proud of them for doing it that way. Last thought, obviously, market numbers are saying that the market itself is kind of stabilized, you know, a little bit of a uptick, mm-hmm. let's say, you know, year over year. We kind of expected we needed to see that. I mean, if, if the market was alive at all, we had to see a little bit of an uptick because, you know, back 2017, August, you know, September, those were kind of our bottom bottom months, you know, and now now we're looking at it. Let's put things in perspective. The last time we had 82,000 sales in the GTA was 2007. Yeah. I want everybody to hear that for a second. <laughs> 2007. Yep. Was the last time we had reporting like forecasted numbers around 82, 83, 81, you know. Yeah, in that range. Yeah. Was 2007. At that time there were under 32,000 realtors. Right now there's over 51,000 realtors which means that the same realtors, the professional ones are doing a great job, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, we always that, say that. That's, yeah. that's what I'm, I'm yeah. going to show that right off the bat. So my crystal ball, professionally, in my humble professional opinion, based on what I've seen and know and what I'm seeing in the marketplace right now, believe that in 2019, we'll, we'll have a nine in front of the sales. Okay. So we'll be somewhere around 92, 94, you know, 93,000 sales, which will bring us back to 2015. There'll be a little bit more supply seeing people accepting the new stress rules. There's a lot of people now that are using uh, other source funds instead of uh, big banks to finance their purchases. The banks know this. They'll need to start loosening you know, certain banks are gonna r- have to r- work regulations, have to work with this new environment. Yep. And uh, at the end of the day, we're gonna start seeing buyers saying, okay, this is the market. We've dealt with it. We've watched it filter through. There is a confidence over 75 or 80% of people still f- feel very confident about buying. And we are going to see people jumping back in the marketplace. We're already seeing it right now, and I'm not spinning anything. Don't forget, I'm a broker of record and owner with 240 agents yep. in the center core of Toronto. I'm watching different pockets start to come alive. It's October. Listen, you know, it's, it's October. October is never the busiest month, and it's, it's going to be a good month. It's still a drip drip, and, and, and I caution people thinking that all of a sudden you're going to get that meteoric rise, though. You know, cause, There won't cause, be a rise like that. No, no, no. not that 5%, 10% in a month. Okay? No, no, and, no. And, and so when, and one of the things I think people should realize is that, hey, listen, if you've been sitting on the fence, now it's time for you to give some pause and start thinking. You know, we are going to see a little pressure on interest rates, of course, because, yes. you know, and, and I caution everybody thinking that the sky's going to fall there. I think the government is probably, Bank of Canada is smart enough to keep their eye on the, the prize here because a lot of people are in debt. So, you know, they got to keep that within within a certain bandwidth. It's been such a wonderful time having you on the show, uh, Tim. I really appreciate it. By the way, I know coming up next, yes. uh, I know Ian's got some special guests. He's got the TREB president, Gary Barra, coming on with uh, John Michelle and Jason Mercer, these are some of your your colleagues. I'm gonna stick around, and say hi. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you should. So, um, listen, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show today. Uh, thanks so much for having me. It's it's been a lot of fun. You're a pro. Thank you for having me here. Excellent. Thanks so much. Well, I want to thank Dave Butler at the top of the show, bringing us up to date on what's going on with mortgages. And also, I'd like to thank Tim Sirianos for joining me in the studio today. It was a real pleasure having him on. And of course, I want to thank Ian and Andre. They keep me, uh, well, I'm not going to say they keep me simple, but they keep the show simple for me to do each week. And uh, I want to thank you for tuning in. Now, remember, I'm back next Saturday at 3 p.m. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010.